Hi, everybody, and thanks for coming to the podcast. Uh, in case you didn't know, Gabe and I are now hosting a show at the OG Grotta here in Lincoln on 27th and Jamie Lane every first Wednesday of the month. We bring in local talent and distant talent in order to produce the best shows here in Lincoln. So if you guys are interested, come out to the OG Grotta and have a great time. Thank you. Bye. And now, your featured presentation. care how much money I'd make. Like, I don't want to do it. It's like, once you have a certain amount of money, you just want like the time and to be able to put your energy into things you enjoy. You don't care anymore about all that. Yeah. And I think think Rogan's flat out said, he's like, I got to a point in life where like, I have freedom because of the money I've made. He's like, anything else is just like a chore to him now. Right. Which is like, to me is the ultimate goal. Like good for him on like not being a Bezos. It's like Bezos is like, like who's happier Rogan or Bezos? Right. Well, he just gets to sit around with his friends and smoke weed and drink and talk about whatever he wants to. But like on paper, like Rogan's a broke bitch compared to Bezos. If you compare like Rogan's millions to Jeff Bezos million or billions, like he's a broke bitch. But Rogan's 10 times happier, in my opinion. Well, yeah. Who cares about being like, oh, I have the most money. Like, yeah, but you're fucking Apparently, (laughs) apparently Bezos does. But I I think he's probably a little little got a screw loose or, you know. Like, you have to be a special type of person in order to have that much money and still want more. Like, I mean, like, it's always like a constant, you know, what's the next goal or. or It is it is a weird it is a weird lifestyle for sure. But at the same time, like we all benefit from Amazon's empire. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, until we don't you benefit from it, but we all use it. We've all volunteered to jump into it. And it's like yeah. so it's like, do we hate Bezos because he has. A disgusting amount of wealth or it's like are we thankful for bezos because we have essentially like this amazing convenience that has changed the world two-day free shipping mm-hmm. oh man oh yeah and like i think i read a statistic that like 30 percent of amazon transactions are from small businesses mm-hmm. or something like that so it's like i mean it's 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 empowered a lot of people to do also make right we're like yeah. walmart is just a retail store that underpays its employees and no one's making money outside of the upper management. I mean, don't you think Amazon has to underpay somebody? Yeah, I guess they, but I mean, even their lowest paid workers are, are making the 15. I mean, that's I, what they give at Walmart. Don't they? Uh, not at all. Walmart. So I don't no. think so. They no. might've now. I don't know. I, I, I should, I don't know if I've, Probably checked out of that, but enough about Walmart and Jeff Bezos. We actually have a special <laughs> guest today, um, Allison Oatman. 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 Yeah. I should know that because because your husband was on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah. If if you listen to the episode with Cody Oatman, that is uh, the mm-hmm. husband of Allison. Um, but Allison, I think we're gonna have to unpack a lot about your life. Yeah. I think you, I think you have an impressive resume. To and I don't mean that lightly, like. You have so to start, you have a master's degree in clinical nutrition. Yes. And you're kind of a huge advocate for like physical fitness and diets, especially plant based, right? Um, yeah, I mean 
I'm always going to advocate for plant-based just because I feel like that's where the majority of the science, I mean, our number one killer in the U.S. and in the world is heart disease, right? It's like, not that's COVID, just to be clear. Yeah, okay. it's, it's heart disease. Yeah. Um, and so the best way to prevent heart disease is to eat a primarily plant-based diet, low in saturated fat, usually reducing sodium because that, you know, leads to hypertension for most people. Um, but yeah, primarily plant-based. I mean, 95% of Americans roughly are not getting enough fiber. So that alone is, you know, we have a very animal-based diet okay so yeah now between you i I, i'll give you partial the credit i want to say more of it was because my coworker austin anderson went vegan completely changed his life around with a plant-based diet and i actually decided to give it a 90 day try and i did have more energy i did lose some weight but it giving up meat and I, i don't know if it's like i'm addicted but giving up meat made my mental health seemed like it was just like i couldn't like function mentally huh. after like 90 days so, but it was like a roller coaster and so and, and and so i talked to some people they're like they're like you have to just break through but i'm after 90 days it was kind of where like I, I drew the line i was like okay if I, it doesn't change for me in 90 days have you ever heard anything like that <sighs> or, I, I, and I, mean, I know I, that's not like research that's just my opinion or my you know my experience with it but I seemed to struggle because I had the energy and I felt physically a lot better and I wasn't like bloated or anything, but like mentally I was like, I wasn't right. Um, I don't know about that specific instance, but so it was, I want to say like eight years ago, over eight years ago now is when I, so I kind of did the same thing. I was reading a book, I was getting into running and at the time I was eating healthy, like I was doing a lot of like chicken, fish and Greek yogurt and that kind of stuff. Um, and I read a book by an author who was vegan and was like promoting a vegan or plant-based diet, however you want to word it. Um, and I didn't realize it when I bought it, I just thought it was about like, you know, ultra running and it would be inspirational for training for my first marathon. Um, and he ended up like saying, you know, going vegan and eating a plant-based diet helped with his recovery, had more energy, all this stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to just do it for like 30 days and see how I feel. And if I don't feel any better, then I'll just go back to eating the way that I was eating before. So I did it and I felt a lot better and I stuck with it. And I want to say just within the last few months, um, I mean, probably within the last like year, very slowly, but especially within the last few months, I've like incorporated like, you know, chicken and fish and stuff back into my diet. Um, Not really because of any like, like health reason or any feeling of needing to other than the fact that we live in the Midwest. And it just got to a point where I was like. I don't know. I, I'm tired I, I, I of being stressed saying. out and yeah. being limited. Like, you know, my husband's not vegan and I hate holding him back and being like, okay, like we have these five restaurants we can go to yeah, and that's so it. Like we can't go anywhere new. We can't, or even like with traveling, like we went on our honeymoon to Vegas, you know, for a whole week. And it's like, yeah, they have plenty of vegan options, but not every place does. Or like we'd pass by a vending machine that had fucking cake in it one night. And I was like, Oh my God, that looks so good. And of course it's not vegan. And I was like, fuck it. I'm on my honeymoon. It's fucking rainbow cake from a vending machine. So we bought it and it was freaking delicious. And we ate it in our hotel. But, um, I think for me, it's just been like, it's alleviated a lot of mental stress of like trying to be a perfectionist about all of it. Like I definitely care about animals and I'm not a fan of factory farms, but I also live in the Midwest and we know people who like have ranches here and, you know, farm as families and do that. And that to me is different than like when you drive by, 
you know, a bunch of acres of land and you see cows out grazing. That to me is so different than like the factory farms where they're like in little cages mm-hmm. and, you know, like they're just bred and, to yeah. like live a miserable life and then die in like two years or something is is different to me. So, And, and I think while some vegans take it too far, I think some of them, I, I guess I call them moderate vegans, like I think they've blown the whistle on a lot of serious issues. It's like we have the ability to ethically source food. And so it's like, why don't we? Either, I don't know if it's regulations, the answer, just public awareness or a mix of both. But it's like, why don't we make the moves? That's like, you know, clearly we need to, we need meat to feed everybody. But it's like we don't need to torture animals or do things that are going to, I guess, because sometimes the way they process these animals is then it's not necessarily the meat that's unhealthy. It's the processing that we do. That can all the also antibiotics us, in, yes, in, yeah. that are used in the feed because of all the infections and stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of issues with it. I mean, I would kind of argue, and this is someone who is, you know, eating meat occasionally now. Um, there's a lot of arguments that if we actually stopped eating meat, we'd be able to feed more people um, because we can get more out of the land when we just grow plants because the amount of grains that you have to feed to cows to get like one six ounce steak, you would get more calories from just eating the corn or the wheat directly. Oh, right. Now, obviously, like, you know, the first thing people throw out in the Midwest is like, well, I don't want to live off of corn and wheat. Like I want to eat meat, um, which is, you know, but uh, when the argument goes out, like we need meat to feed everyone, we'd actually be able to more oh, people okay. with plants. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to like push any, you know, views or anything. I guess I've kind of learned, um, I was talking to Cody about this last night is a lot of times people will be on one side of an extreme and mm. then the pendulum will kind of almost swing the other direction. Cody and, um, the same and then you'll kind of end up yeah. somewhere like once that momentum settles down, you'll end up somewhere in the middle. And I feel like I've, I've done that with so many things like religion, politics, so many things where I've been really extreme. And then it like, you get to a point where you're like, Oh, this is awful. This is miserable and uncomfortable. And you swing the other way. And then you kind of end up somewhere in the middle and like, yeah, from a very it's, healthy, it's it's yeah, from a yeah. very healthy point of view. So, and I think maybe you just, I don't know, it takes age and maturity to kind of get to that point where you yeah. can be more towards the middle on things. But, and, and clearly like I'm, I'm not a vegan, I'm not advocating, but like I, I learned in my little 90 day experiment that like most people could benefit from eating more plants. Yeah. Like the average, especially in the Midwest, the average American needs more plants in their diets and less meat. The 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 food pyramid that people have in their head, I guess, of like how the portions of meat versus plants and grains that they're eating is way out of whack. It's like even if you don't take it to the extreme, like you should only eat plants. I think everyone could agree that we should, as a nation, eat more plants. More plant based. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I just like the way meat tastes. I, I I mean, like I'm a glutton in my own in my own right, but like I know what I need per se. I feel like a lot of that stems from like the whole like low carb or carbs are bad like viewpoint mm-hmm. that's kind of come out. Like for a long time, like decades ago, it was fat. Like low fat diets were the thing. Like fat was bad, and then they kind of turned around, and now like keto is popular and paleo was popular for a while. I don't know how popular it is anymore, but I know a lot of people who do keto, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, I feel better when I cut carbs out." And I'm like, "Was well, it carbs or is it processed carbs? Like, is it cookies and white breads and stuff?" Because right. when I eat oatmeal, when I eat like whole foods like brown rice and things like that I feel really good and I have a lot of energy Um, but yeah if I eat like cake and cookies I feel like crap all the time and I think the issue is just like people want to attack a macronutrient it's like well we need all three like we need carbs protein and fat it's just getting the right it's getting monosaturated polyunsaturated fats versus saturated fats it's you know getting whole food carbohydrates versus the refined sugary ones and you know like lean sources of protein like um, okay 
again, that goes back to that moderation of like finding balance. Cause I did low fat for a while and I did low carb for a while and both sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I've ended up somewhere in the middle of like, Oh, balance that works the best. Huh? Go figure. Now being in nutrition, like what is like the, what is the modern take on like fat intake? Because like you said, you know, it used to be heavily hit on that fats were bad. And then there was the whole kind of fat scare that kind of went through America because of. And the I mean, sugar industry was behind that is, is a fun note for that whole, you know, you, you see packaging on everything, fat free ranch, fat feed, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. And like, I feel like the sugar industry, if you, there, there was a whole episode on Adam Ruins everything about that. Hmm. I mean, like, do you hear anything about that or do you have like a, a take on that? I mean, um, well, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is what credentials me and gives me my license as a dietitian. Um, and it's pretty much like the the top notch for nutrition because like medical doctors only get one semester, like a three credit hour course in nutrition. Mm-hmm. So like unless you're talking to a registered dietitian, like most of that's going to be like general information or what people like look up online, which people can like seek out, you know, good information online. And I've, studies. I've seen but meme campaigns that say doctors also, are not nutritionists. <laughs> and I was like, hey, it's a good point. I never thought of it that way. But well, it, I can't tell you how many people I've seen diagnosed with diabetes who'll come to me and be like, my doctor said I can't eat fruit anymore. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you can still eat bananas. You just can't eat like seven of them. You should eat like one with like some oatmeal and some like protein and right. some healthy fats to slow down that digestion. So your blood sugar doesn't spike. And they're like, oh, you mean I can eat fruit? And I'm like, yes. Like, I can't believe your doctor told you, you can't ever have fruit again. Like that's one of the healthiest ways to get carbohydrates in. Like diabetics are still supposed to have carbohydrates. It's right. just not a ridiculous amount of them in one serving. Right. Um, but going back to your question with the fats, um, the Academy basically just lays out like their general guidelines for carbs, protein, and fat, which like the keto diet or like a very low fat diet wouldn't fall into. I think the minimum they say for fat is like 20% of your total calories is the lowest it should go, especially for women. Cause they need it for like hormone balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's usually 20 to 35% of your total calories from fat is recommended. Um, carbohydrates are like... Mm, I want to say like 35 to 50. I don't know off the top of my head, but carbohydrates are closer to half or a little bit less than half. And then proteins usually like, again, like going to be like 15 to 30 or 35% of your total calories. So that's a rough estimation without pulling it up and looking at it. But yeah, I mean, I think I probably do about 25% fat, 25% protein and roughly 50% carbs. Okay. On average, probably if I have to estimate based off of the foods that I eat. And I feel like that works well for me. But I also don't think there's a perfect like macro ratio for everyone, like mm-hmm. depending on your metabolism, what kind of like sports you do, if you do athletics or, you know, your age or gender, all that can take into account of like people's ideal ranges. But the Academy has put out like a specific like here's what we think you should be in the range for for each. Right. The average American. Just right. to meet your nutritional needs, because if you do too low of carbs, you're missing out on like folate, niacin, riboflavin, all those vitamins and minerals that naturally are in like whole grains, you know, or fruits and vegetables that have vitamins and minerals. Like if you do low carb, you're not getting a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Right. Same with fats or whatever. You're not getting enough monosaturated or like omega threes if you do too low fat. So it's just kind of like getting a moderate amount of everything to kind of meet your nutritional right. needs. And I, I find that that works the best for me and most people, but I know some people will say they'll swear by keto. They'll swear by this. And if that's, you know what they feel works best for them, I'm not going to tell them, you know, to do something well, different, but the interesting thing about diets and, and I, like, I'm not an expert on this obviously, but it's like, I know a lot of people that like they found something that works for them, but like it didn't work for me or it didn't work for so-and-so. 
Does like are there so many factors? Like I mean, like you said, like your your gender, for example. Like I mean, even your race, ethnicity, where you grew up, what you grew up eating, what your grandparents ate. Does that all play a factor of like what might work the best for someone, or is it all just like? Is there this one size fits all if you strictly follow the science? I don't think there's a one size fits all. I think maybe the biggest thing that I've thought about could be your gut microbiome. Because mm. I feel like people who don't do well on high carbohydrate diets, like they might not have a good like balanced microbiome. Like because we're supposed to have a good balance of like healthy bacteria and like fungi in our gut. And I feel like if that's out of whack, like if you have too much fungi, well, that feeds off of carbohydrates. And so if you have too much sugar, you might feel like run down and tired because your body's trying to like fight that down and restore the good bacteria. Um, I don't know. I'm really interested in the gut microbiome. It affects so much things. It affects like our immunity, our mental health they're showing yeah. is affected by the gut microbiome. So I wouldn't be surprised if that affects like what our macro it's, it's and It's kind of become a buzzword in the nutrition yeah. field, but it is, there's probably a lot of real science there, but I feel like every scam diet is now using those buzzwords to sell you mm-hmm. some kind of Increase like supplement. microbiome. Yeah. yeah. Your gut health. Gut yeah. health is my favorite. Yeah. Favorite. But I'm sure there's real science there, but it's like, I'm sure there's obviously the scam artists and the businessmen in the supplement industry that yeah. come behind it. The sad thing is a lot of those probiotics, like not that they aren't beneficial to an extent, but most of those, like they don't, if you stop taking them, they only stay in your gut for a couple months. So it's not like they're permanently in there. You know, and then most of them are like, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard of this. And it's a crazy the first time I heard this, I was in grad school and I was like, wait, is that a real thing? There's such a thing called a fecal transplant. They will literally (laughs) people who have that bad of poor gut microbiome. There's literally no probiotics that can restore your gut microbiome health um, better than literally taking someone else's poop and putting it up someone else's but uh-huh. <laughs> no giving way. that person's gut my by but like how microbiome often does that fix that? the problem like is well, it a one-time um, thing or is it like a weekly service i want to say it's more in the trial phase right now but there was a facility i worked at where there was someone who was a candidate for that because they kept getting c diff mm-hmm. they had c diff so often that their doctor was like would you want to try this? And they were like, I'll try anything because C. diff is miserable. And I if you were getting it, point if you're you getting it like once or twice that, yeah. every month, then like, yeah, <laughs> I know it's a crazy, the first time I heard it, I'm like, wait, that's a real like medical procedure. But yes, they're starting to look into doing that for people whose gut microbiomes are shot because unfortunately taking probiotic, like your stomach acid will kill a lot of that before it even gets down right, into your really. like lower intestine, your colon. But even then like the strains that we can make and put into capsules and take aren't the same as like what we naturally get from our mother's like colostrum when we're babies like we get most of our immunity from our mom when we breastfeed so breastfed fed babies tend to have healthier gut microbiomes and tend to be healthier off in general Ooh, which is why it's diss so on the formula moms out there no it's no, not no, a diss I, 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 i'm just yeah. speaking scientifically well um, that's hate speech in today's climate allison oh you well, gotta be careful with facts you gotta be careful with facts these days no <laughs> kidding but that initial colostrum that we get from our mom is just like you can't replace that with literally right. any supplement mm-hmm. um i mean they've even taken like colostrum from cows and tried to put that in supplements and that won't do the same thing wow it's like human you know yeah colostrum but you gotta it, stay away from the, the cow like, yeah the cow probiotics and the horse dewormers <laughs> you want to stay away from those i feel like uh modern day antibiotics have been like you know a blessing and a curse because obviously they've saved a lot of lives like i would be dead if antibiotics didn't exist because i got pneumonia 
bacterial pneumonia or viral, whichever one that requires, I think it's a bacterial requires uh, mm-hmm. antibiotics. And like, if I wouldn't have had antibiotics, like I would have died from it. Like it would have killed me. Yeah. And so obviously like they're, they're necessary, but well, so many people, correct? yeah. And there's times where people don't need them. Like their body could fight it off, but the doctor will like throw antibiotics at it to be like, this will help you get over it faster. And so I only ever take antibiotics if I have to, cause that's the easiest way to destroy your gut microbiome. And again, once it's depleted, it's so hard to get it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so my mom's a nurse and I swear in the late 90s, she was talking about the overprescription of antibiotics and she was so against us getting them unless it was like life or death, essentially, because I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've actually taken antibiotics. Well, that's good. Yeah, I think. Well, but like I'm a procrastinator and I like consistently like if like if my arm was about to fall off, like I'm waiting till it's off until I go tell someone like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, I can't tell you how many times like I like was like in a bad spot, like health wise. And I just waited it out. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, you can ignore something until it goes away. Hmm. And that's, that's the secret to my health. I don't know. I'm just talking on my ass, but like, I, I, I've been stubborn with going to the doctor, but I think in the long term, in hindsight, like it's been good that I haven't had a lot of antibiotic prescriptions where I know people that go and get them Anytime yeah, they get there the are times sniffles. where they get like a cold and they'll be like, oh, can I get antibiotics? And usually if you ask for them, the doctor will just write them because right. they're like, okay, like you came, you visited me, you want something to feel better. Like a lot of people just want to go home and take some because it makes them feel better. Like they're doing something proactive rather than just going home and like resting yeah. and eating mm-hmm. well and drinking water. But yeah, I, I avoid taking them at all costs unless I absolutely have to because right. I just I know that they destroy your gut. I staying overnight in the hospital at that point if I'm taking and antibiotics. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I think like strep, you pretty much have to take them. Oh yeah, strep. I've tried to. Wait. That's actually all. <laughs> you the, the, strep. I've tried to outweigh strep, and it doesn't work. Yeah, that probably. Wasn't I, they they gave you a shot in my ass. I, uh, I had this sassy black nurse in Chicago, and she was like, "Oh, sweetheart, it's gonna hurt a little bit," and she just stuck it in there, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But it cleared up like in like twelve hours. I was fine. Yeah, shit was magical. There was, what was it, two years ago? It was like a month into Cody and I when we very first started dating. Um, I got really sick and they couldn't figure out what it was. Like I ended up going to the ER because I was like, I feel awful. Like I need to go to the ER. So he drove me to the ER like 1030 and I, I waited, went in. Um, and they thought it was like, they thought I had a kidney infection, like that oh, I had really? a urinary tract infection that spread to my kidneys. But I was like, that's weird because I didn't have any symptoms of having it like a UTI. And so they threw this hardcore antibiotic at me and they're like, yeah, you can't work out for like a week after taking this because some people's Achilles tendons will snap. That's oh. a side effect of the medication. I was like, what the hell did you give me? Well, yeah, it, may, it makes antibiotics have all kinds of weird yeah. side effects. Yeah. And like so, the more aggressive they are, like the worse. Yeah. I think I took that for like a week and I didn't feel any better. And I was like, I called my doctor and I was like, I still feel like I'm, I'm dying. And so I went in and she did, she was like, yeah, I think it's whatever they gave you is resistant. She's like, I don't even know if you had a kidney infection. I don't know if it's something else. We couldn't figure out what it was, but I felt like I literally felt like I was dying. So she gave me some antibiotic shot in the butt. Literally like three hours later, it was like night and day. I was like, oh my God, I feel like a human being again. So whatever shot she gave me worked. And of course, like it was to the point where I was like, I have to take antibiotics if I want to get better. But yeah, yeah, that hardcore one they gave me at the air that didn't work. I was like, God, how much did that screw my gut up? And it didn't even do anything. Like I was kind of mad that they mm-hmm. gave me something that didn't work. <laughs> I was like, I wasted all that good gut bacteria on nothing. Well, what's scary is the the future of things that are resistant to antibiotics. You yes. know, like you hear Mer- so MRSA essentially. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because you guys are the medical people, not me. But MRSA is just medical, like antibiotic resistant staph infection. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it never leaves you. Is that? An- um, I mean, yeah, potentially. It's, oh. it's extremely hard to 
to get rid of it, gotcha. if anything. I mean, multi-resistant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I guess there's a gonorrhea, strain of gonorrhea that's mm-hmm. resistant to, to antibiotics. Yeah. It's, I, they're calling it super gonorrhea. Oh, great. So if you get the old gonorrhea, you want to hold on to that one. Super that's, gonorrhea. That's, that, there should be an NFT for the old <laughs> Hopefully gonorrhea. Hopefully it'll build up some antibodies, so if you get the super one, it can just blast it, it away, right? It just blast it away, yeah. That's crazy, though. I mean, because they're always, like, the, the thing about that is when they're running out of antibiotics to treat those certain infections, now they have to look to even more obscure new treatments, you know, new antibiotics that haven't been discovered yet, or even different forms like of medicine that don't work like antibiotics. So the difficulty is keeping up with different treatments that are going to well, is that, is that why vac- we're hyper-focused on vaccines to just prevent people from getting certain things to begin with, yeah, I mean, especially a, with animal pharmaceuticals. I mean, vaccines are a primary prevention for mm-hmm. infections and right. different viruses. So, you know, if you can keep people out of the hospital in the first place, then yeah, that's the that's the best option. That's that's mm-hmm. what you want for a society. Gotcha. I mean, you know, you have these essentially in medicine, you have the tiers of like primary, secondary, tertiary prevention. So primary prevention is just like, I mean, vaccines fall under that, but you want to focus on eating right, healthy exercise, you know, right. stuff like that in order to just, you know, be a, you know, healthy human being. And you got to be have, careful telling Americans that you need to focus on diet and exercise. That's <laughs> I always think it's crazy how little we focus on that. Well, I will say so um, dietitians, I like this is a relatively relatively new like field in healthcare is Mm -hmm. nutrition and dietetics. Like it's not, it hasn't been around that long. And so we've had to advocate for like, um, like Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement and like to be covered by health insurance. And they're trying to work on like extending that more to prevention. But unfortunately, like a lot of, um, insurance companies won't cover like visits with a dietitian until you're already diagnosed with like type two diabetes. So like if someone comes in, they're pre-diabetic, we can't get their insurance to cover meeting with us to prevent them from ever having developed Mm -hmm. like type two diabetes, which sucks because that's why I became a dietitian is because I was like, awesome. I get to do the prevention side. I'm not, you know, like hopefully I can keep people off of drugs and out of the hospital and that kind of stuff. Um, but unfortunately like, you know, insurance doesn't cover a lot of that. Yeah. We're trying to advocate and that's what our Academy of nutrition dietetics, like what our credentialing agency also works to help do is to try to advocate for our services and getting reimbursement, but Mm -hmm. it's difficult. It is. This might be a glasses half empty take, but like, I feel like the people that have type two diabetes, right. They've dug their hole, so to speak. And then they maybe stumble across someone like you, like they might, like they have an uphill battle and I feel like God bless the people who get in the hole and then get themselves out with, with the help of others, like someone like you. But I feel like most people that, that find themselves there, like they've already kind of closed the book on their decisions. Not that they can't physically, like, it's not that it's impossible, but it's like if they got there in the first place, they're unlike, they're statistically unlikely to like stop and completely rewrite what they do from there on. It's sad. I mean, I've seen both. I've definitely had people who are highly motivated who like get newly diagnosed with type two diabetes in the hospital. Cause when I did my internship, I did a lot of education in the hospital. Um, and I'd meet with people and they're like, Oh, they take home all the paperwork and they'd ask a bunch of questions. I'd be in there for an hour educating them. And I was like, I feel really good about that. And then there were times where I'd go meet with someone having their fourth, fifth, 
amputation on their feet. Like they're mm-hmm. going to lose the other foot. They keep taking toes. They keep taking more and more because there's, you know, essentially rotting tissue because right, when right. your blood sugars are 350 and they're elevated all the time, like your body can't heal. So if you stub your toe, it turns into a wound that turns into an infection right, and it keeps right. progressing. And eventually they have to take the whole foot or you're just going to rot and you get gangrene and, you know, go septic and everything. issues with their feet, but I didn't realize it was because of their blood sugar was out of control. Yeah, because their blood sugar is so high that their body can't heal like wounds. Like non-healing wounds is usually like a sign that you might have like diabetes. Um, But anyways, I went to go visit with someone during my internship and he was in there and he was, um, you know, getting ready to face like his fourth or fifth amputation. Like he already had lost one foot and part of that lower leg and he was getting ready to lose the other one. And I was trying to educate him on like, this is how you should eat to prevent this. Like I was trying to help. And he like was very much just like shot me down was like, no, I'm not interested. I eat the way I eat. And that's that. And I couldn't believe that someone would rather have amputations than change the way that they eat. But that was like his mindset at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I tried a couple of times and after a few times of him shooting me down and kind of pushing me out the door, I was like, okay. And you know, you just document that you put it in a note in their electronic medical records that you tried and they shot you down and, you know, hopefully, but like, I don't (laughs) think he had any motivation to change. But yeah. there are people who are very motivated or they have a heart attack for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh. And they start cutting out red meat and salt and they start eating healthier and running. And, you know, so it really just depends on the person. But I think a lot of it's just some people don't believe that they can change. Like some people don't have a lot of like, it's perceived like, you know, if they even it's an think outside that they force, they have no control over. Yeah, and we that's ta- that. Yeah. We learned about that a lot. I think in one of my undergrad classes of like, you know, in healthcare, like some people really think that they can make a change and that'll help. And some people believe that no matter what they do, like a lot of people still think that, Oh, it's genetic. It's genetic. There's nothing I can do about it. Right. Well, and it's also too, like if, if you grew up in a household where, you know, like you eat all this processed junk and like you're almost it's almost addictive stuff. Like, I mean, sugar's addictive. Cheese is addictive. And mm-hmm. like I, I, I struggle with it. Like when I when I was getting ready for fights and I do this extreme of like eating terrible or like I'm eating like like an Olympic Strict. athlete. I, I have no in between. Yeah. And so when I fall off the, the wagon, you know, when the fight's over, or when I just, you know, have like a bad day. I go into like a relapse of like shitty food and it's like it is truly like I understand I'm maybe not in deep of a hole as a lot of these people you've dealt with, but I can at least I've, I've seen a sneak peek of like food is addictive for a lot of people. Like yeah. it is it is my drug of choice. And, and I can see that, like, if I didn't have an active lifestyle, it, I would I would be way worse off than I am now. And like these people are probably just like they've had double whammies. Next thing you know, they're like you're 50 and you're losing a foot. And they're mm-hmm. like they're addicted to the terrible foods that have put them in this in this situation. So it's like I mean, it, I almost look at it as like drug addiction. Just honest. Yeah, like, it you is. can give up meth, but you can't like you can't stop eating. But like you it's like you have to make good choices daily. Like, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion around that. Like, you know, if you're an al- alcoholic, the the like the recommendation, of course, is just completely cut out alcohol right. because, you know, if you have one drink, you're going to have more and then you're going to end up falling back into that spiral. Like, and the so the goal is just like to lock them in a basement <laughs> for like a week and just feed them water and, and food. Uh, There's a shameless episode where Kurt Carl like chained a guy to a water heater to go overcome his drug addiction. And then when mm-hmm. he finally let him out, he like spread the word on the street that Carl cured him. And so like these people were showing up to like have him get chained down in the basement. I was like, not crazy that that's really the cure. We're just too polite of a society to do it. But I didn't mean to derail. I mean, that's not, no, that's good. not too far a scenario from how alcohol withdrawal goes into a hospital. I mean, like, you don't, 
necessarily always have to chain the people down, but when right. they come in and they're withdrawing, isn't it I mean, crazy how severe alcohol withdrawal is? It's like insane. the fact well, it's the that one thing that can kill you, right? I mean, you right? Can literally like the fact die. that like you know THC and marijuana is still legal in so many places, but it's like you don't have people having like severe withdrawals from that, or really even that or beating I've their seen, wife when they're on the you know getting addicted. Yeah. But like there are people, and you know, I worked in long term care facility for three years. That was my first job as a dietitian, and there were so many people coming in with alcohol induced hepatitis that were in end stage liver failure who mm-hmm. were there to pretty much be on hospice and die because they drank themselves into liver failure. And I'm like, but alcohol is legal and we're not worried about that. Like it just, it, it seems it, crazy. It's, it's, insane, yeah. it's so exciting. I mean, our podcast is named after drinking. <laughs> it's not the greatest alcohol. plug, I would yeah. say. <laughs> and, 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 and I thought it was so funny when we, te- you know, we reached out to you to have you on and we, we've kind of had you on the radar for a while. And you're like, were you the one that was like, well, I'm probably not going to be drinking or something. Yeah. Well, you asked me today, which I appreciate, you know, if I want anything to drink. Well, I because I went out last night and had a margarita. And this is always my problem when I go out to eat. I have a drink. Right. And I finish it like I suck it down I'm like ah oh, it was a good margarita so the waitress immediately comes by and she's like you want another margarita and I'm like yeah okay sure and then like save me 20 from minutes later 20 minutes later you know the Marie, the second murder comes out and I'm drinking it and then the first one fully hits me right because it takes a while for it to catch up with you mm-hmm. and then I'm like oh no I'm in trouble like I don't like this was nine bucks I don't want to waste it so then I drink the second one and then I'm like I had too much like I always needed to stop after that first one because I'm pretty sure they put two shots in each of those and four for me is just I don't drink yeah. that often so mm-hmm. I'm a lightweight but it never the first one never hits me till after I order the second drink and then I'm always like why did I do that one one thing I've been doing um lately is I've been I I, I generally love the taste of beer like 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 bush light in particular it, it's like my water but I switched to NAs and I can't believe the just the change of like I like I get to enjoy two three beers and then I wake up the next day and I don't feel awful yeah mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that the two to three beers I had I you know because I never got hung over from two to three beers but it made me feel slow and into the, but like yeah. j- but it, like I couldn't blame the beer until I like switched to a non-alcoholic version of it and I was like <laughs> oh my god like mm-hmm. two three beers was actually making me feel groggy the next morning I yeah. couldn't believe it. And I paid for those two margaritas last night because we woke up at 4 a.m. this morning and went to walk the dogs and went to the gym. And, and you felt uh, it. Yeah. Well, we did some full body exercises where I was moving some weight and I literally felt like I was going to puke afterwards. And I was like, I know. I mean, I normally feel that way when I push myself hard during a workout, but I knew it was also because I was dehydrated and the alcohol. And I was like, I really shouldn't have drink last night. But it's always good to have those reminders. Right. You need those every now and then to be like, oh, yeah, don't drink too much. Because <laughs> yep. yep. it's so it, you forget so quickly, you know. But and, and so you speaking of your fitness, though, you have like a fitness page on Instagram and, yes. and TikTok, too, right? Yeah, I just started a TikTok. I was very reluctant for that because I was like, oh, that's where all like the young kids are. And I'm like almost 30. It's now. changing, though. Yeah, changing. but I'll admit it's fun because they have some fun sound clips over there. And if you're just willing to like be goofy and whatever, it's fun. Yeah. So I don't know. It's also kind of nice because but it's unlike, all fitness based, right? Like you're 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 lifting most weights. of it. I mean, some of it's just like goofy or fun. But yeah, most. Most of my stuff's based around like fitness, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So are you, what, so what is your, you lift weights, I'm assuming? Yeah. I mean, I, we were kind of talking about weightlifting earlier, so I'm assuming Cody and I invested in a nice camera. So we got a nice, uh, professional camera that you can even like take the lenses and change them, which is the first time I've had like a nice 
nice camera. And then we even got a gimbal, gimbal, which is like 500 bucks that you attach the camera in. And so like, if you move it, it like adjusts for the shakiness. So everything's really smooth. So if you like go around or everything like, so we'll film workout videos and he'll, he's gotten really good at using it because he's the tech person. Um, and so he'll like film that. And so we've gotten some really good, like with between the quality of the camera and then just like getting better at filming and using it. Um, I think we're going to be able to make some good, like fitness related stuff. But. That's pretty cool. So, so what, what these fitness videos, like, is it, is it for the gram? Is it for TikTok? Is it, is it like supposed to be educational? Is it just like the log progress or kind of what's the goal with that? Yeah, I guess it kind of, I mean, I'm hoping I can look back. I already have stuff. Cause I guess I started it like, it's almost been a year. Cause I started it like last October, my Instagram. And so I have videos on there of me, like when I first learned how to do a, like a pull up or a chin up or whatever. And like, I watch videos now where I record myself and I'm like, wow, look at how much my muscle tone and my form and you know, my strength is improved. And so it's kind of nice to look back on that, but I guess it's also just, I feel like, I mean, it depends on the person, but I am very inspired watching other people like, you know, post content like that to, for me to go work out. Like some days I'm like, I don't want to go today. And then I see a video of something that I, someone I'm really inspired by working out and I'm like, okay, time to go, you know? And I have (laughs) had people message me and say like, oh, I really enjoy your fitness content. It motivates me to work out. And I'm like, well, I enjoy creating it. So and you it know. probably keeps you honest, too. You know, it's like, well, it's like if, if I'm not putting out the content that people expect, you know, it's like Jim, there's obviously weeks that Jim and I probably like we're like to, to, to a point like getting three people to meet to record an episode can be like a burden out, mm-hmm. you know, like doing the episode itself is fun, but sometimes getting everything lined up is a burden. But it's like to keep us honest, like we're trying to do one episode a week. So it's like the fact that we have the content, it keeps you honest to like do it. And I, I could seem it. I feel like that could be the same thing for fitness. Like if you're making content and you're like, I want to put out X amount of videos a week. Like it keeps you honest, like getting to the gym to make the content and do the work. Right. Like when you want to have a video to post, like I like doing motivation Monday. So I'm like, okay, I want to have like a video to post on Monday. So yeah, it gets you motivated to go. And I do like, I do feel like when he's filming like a, you know, a squat set or something, I push myself a little harder. Cause I'm like, okay, like, right. you know, it's like, you, you know, want that, your form to be on point and all right, that. Like thing, you yeah. almost, you think more and you work a little harder. Like, cause you have that accountability of knowing that, you knowing know, people are watching, gonna people are going to see this. preserved that set or whatever is going right. to be preserved in video form or whatever. Yep. So yeah, it is a form of accountability too. It kind of motivates me to stick with it. And so, yeah. Okay. And then also you, you have an only fans. Yes. Right. <laughs> So, uh, and not that that is the most interesting thing about you, right? We we talked about you. You're very dedicated to fitness. You're very educated in nutrition. But what compelled you to start an OnlyFans and, and kind of move into that world? Yeah, I feel like that's a really common question for people who know me because it seems like a curveball. Um, so it actually started. So a little bit of background. Um, before I went to school and changed my major to nutrition and dietetics, I spent two years at Wichita State studying fine arts. Um, I was a fine arts major. So I changed to science major, which is a huge leap for a lot of people. Um, but I've always had a very artistic, like creative side. Um, I did theater and show choir in high school. And that was like my favorite thing. I even did forensics, which sounds like dead bodies, but it's competitive acting essentially in public speaking. So I even did that like for fun. Like I got up at like well, 4 30 or 5 a.m. and went to forensics meets and we did like little like five minute skits or something. We had that in my school yeah. in Illinois. And so when I got older and you know, like forensics, it was like, people were like, no, that's like dead body shit. And I was, I was confused yeah. in the reverse sense is what I was trying to say. But yeah, cause I remember those competitions. Yeah. So, and people would come in and judges would rate and you'd have competitions. And so, you know, I think we, 
would always compete. And I think I went to state like the two years that I did duet with partners and stuff. And so it was fun. Like it was competitive, but I also did the musicals and the shows like we did Fiddler on the Roof my senior year. And so I was Hoddle, which is one of the daughters. And so I got to have like a solo song and some other stuff. But I love yeah, I don't want to sing on the spot. No, no, I wasn't going to ask. Okay, I wasn't okay. going to ask you. I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I did voice lessons. I also did competitive choir You're a competitions. Swiss Army knife of talent is what I'm, I, was, I, I was did, getting at. I did competitive choir competitions. So my senior year, I went to state to inquire with singing. Oh, okay. Got the highest rank score you can get. But I pra- like you have to do like I think I did a German piece and then one classical American song. So they're like, I don't know. Okay. It's hard, but I did. We paid for lessons and I did all that. But anyway, so the background, I have a very artsy background. And so working with nutrition and doing all the science-based stuff, even though, you know, I'm very passionate about fitness and I love doing it, it's very applicable what I've learned. There's also this creative artsy side that needs to get expressed. And so, you know, that's why I started doing Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff. But of course, um, if anyone knows, like I am up to 33,000 something on Instagram and I can't really monetize, like unless you work is an affiliate with companies and have a discount code and sell a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff. Like you're not making money off of all that. Like right. you're just doing it for the love of doing it. And so I started shooting, you know, content and, you know, I remember showing Cody when I we were out to dinner and I was like, Oh, look at this like picture that I got. It's really cool. Uh, but it was like more on the sexy side, you know, like it was like a booty picture. And okay. I was like, I don't know if I want to post this on Instagram though. Cause like my mom's on there and you know, people I know personally, and it just seems a little more risque. And he's like, well, why don't you make an OnlyFans? And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't, you know, and he's like, well, why? And I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's like my thing or, you know, like I, it has definitely has a stigma to it. So I was like, I don't know if I want to be associated with that. And so he kept kind of like asking me more questions when I would like, you know, shoot it down. And he's like, so basically what I'm getting is that at the end of the day, you just don't want to do it because you're afraid of what people will think of you. Yeah. And I was like, it's a good reason. I was like, I mean, I guess, I guess. Yeah. Ultimately he's like, because you know, you enjoy creating, you enjoy photography, like you enjoy interacting with people and, you know, meeting people and that would give you a way to monetize, like getting to actually connect with like your fans. Cause if people are going to pay to, you know, chat with you, then obviously they actually are like, you know, really like true fans that are interested in talking with you and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, you don't have to do certain types of things. He's like, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can be as milder, as crazy or whatever as you want. Like there's no rules. And so I guess I kind of <laughs> like, well, I mean, there's some, no, I know. If it's it's illegal, just funny. it was funny but... we were coming from you. Like there's no rules, <laughs> but it is nice because it is a place where I can just like, literally it's my domain. I can do whatever right. the fuck I want, you mm. know? So I can charge for things. I can t- you know, make things free or whatever, like your subscription or whatever, like you have total control over that. So it's allowed me to monetize doing something that I was kind of already doing. Um, but just, I guess, didn't want to be associated with the stigma of it, but I've actually really enjoyed it. And I've connected with some people on there. Like the majority of people who join actually, like I have really good conversations with, like, they're just people who are like, Oh, I like your page. And they just want to like chat and hang out. I mean, I have had a few people that will join and be like, Hey, will you do this? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, I don't do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's been an interesting experience. And I guess I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't know. It's almost like, okay, well I'll try something. Like if I don't like it, I don't have to continue doing it, but mm. you know, just for the experience of saying I, I tried gotcha. it. Now you, so you used to have a day job as a dietitian, right? But you yes. recently just, you, you recently quit. Yes. And is that now I know you I know you started your own business as like a nutrition. I, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? You advise people and build custom plans for nutrition. Um, 
Um, so I'm interested in nutrition coaching, but honestly, I've been talking. I still probably want to incorporate nutrition to an extent in some of my entrepreneurial endeavors. Endeavors, yeah. Yeah, but I think more than anything, I really like, like, I've learned, and of course, it's hard because, you know, you're so young and people are like, you need to choose a major and figure out what you want to do. And I obviously, like, changed that after two years. But even now, like, I still feel like I'm young. Like, my dad changed his career path so many times throughout the years. Yeah, I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, I think I want to tell jokes, but like in the meantime, (laughs) I don't know what I want to do. And like, I don't think people are willing to pay me to have an OnlyFans either, but. (laughs) You never know. You You get some feet people or something, you know. Do I have good feet? Do you think I have good feet for OnlyFans? (laughs) I don't even know what, like everyone has their own thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've joked with Shiloh that she should have like an Only feet because I'm not even a foot guy, but I was like, she has cute feet. I was like, someone's got to like these feet. Yeah. Yeah. But, but but when I first met you, though, because I remember, like, I, you know, Cody was putting your office together, and I think I did some electrical with you guys, or with, yes. in the office. I remember you had, like, a nutritional business that you were starting, so you've kind of pulled back on that, and now you're yeah. kind of doing, you're kind of going all in on day, OnlyFans. Would you say that's your day job? Um, I would say, I mean, even though it's honestly where most of my money is coming in from right now, I ideally want that to kind of be more my side hustle. Hmm. So what I've really gravitated towards and found that I really like is like the mental health side of like, not just nutrition, but just in general, like learning about psychology and a lot of like why people do what they do and Uh like learning how to set healthy boundaries and like all these different things. And so, um, I found that what I would really like to do, and I don't know if it's just a self doubt or maybe I feel like I'm not to a place yet where I feel comfortable doing it, but like life coaching. And I've talked to Cody about that because it's like, you know, how do you get to a point where you know that you're, you know, wise enough to counsel people with life coaching or certain things like that. And he's like, I mean, I think it's just, you find people that you connect with on a certain level or that people like, you know, I don't know. I followed women, um, on Instagram who do like that kind of coaching. And I've thought about it before. Cause I'm like, I follow these people and I'm really inspired and empowered by these people. And they just do like women's coaching where they just mm-hmm. like work with women one-on-one on like, you know, confidence and empowerment and all this stuff. And I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of diving into that world right now. So maybe I want to take a little while to like gain some knowledge and keep like, you know, listening to audiobooks and podcasts and like learning more and developing my own kind of style with that approaching that. But that's definitely something I'd be very interested in doing. I think that would be very fulfilling for me to do. Life yeah. coaching. That's yeah. awesome. Or, you know, I don't know. I've always you wondered how like you get into that. Or, yeah. You just kind of got to live. You probably just have to be someone who has their shit together, which I think you do. And and, and kind of confident and, and, and be expert in a couple things that I mean, because how many people could be, could you positively impact their life by not only being positive and uplifting to them on a personal level, but then being like, hey, if you just eat this every day you'll feel so much better like you know what i mean like just your nutrition has so much overlap i feel like just to actually be a consistent or like a a life coach that actually makes an impact because like how many people could change their life by just changing their diet yeah well and i feel like a lot of times you know if you don't have a very significant strong relationship in your life like obviously i i you know have a great husband that i'm very close with and i have a good relationship with like my family but some people don't have anyone in their life that's like a really core pillar and so i think that's where coaching kind of steps in to have someone even if you just have a bad day to reach out to and you're like hey this happened and i had a really shitty day and i don't know who to talk to like that to me is kind of where like those coaching moments come in to where you're available and you can sit down or you can do like a video call for 30 minutes and just like talk to 
them and talk through stuff like a best a friend would point. or like a mentor or someone would yeah. to just kind of help them work through because sometimes you just need that like external like reassurance or like guidance or for someone to just tell you like that's okay I f- like I you're f- gonna be okay sure. and you know to just listen and let you vent like sometimes mm-hmm. that's really necessary and not everyone has that um and I feel like, you know, having people like that helps me exponentially when I'm in a bad place mentally is to just vent to Cody, but not everyone has that someone they can do that oh, with. Oh, absolutely. I, f- I feel that because I have, I, I, first of all, the thing I'm the most thankful for in life is the friends I have. Mm-hmm. And then like the extended family where your friends become family or your actual family. Because like I have a giant list of people, men and women that I can just call and like, I can call with good news and I can call with bad news. Right. And if you can't call people with bad news, I don't know if they're actually your friend. Yeah. Like now you don't want to abuse like calling someone and doing like a metaphorical punching bag where you just unload your day on them. Right. But like those people are important, like when the time comes. And Mm -hmm. and I, and so I get that like as a life coach, like I never thought of like, I've never been in a situation where I was like, I need a life coach. But like, if I didn't have that support group that I have, like I would, I would totally understand the necessity for that. Or rather even just having someone with maybe a different perspective, like you might have a family member or, you know, a loved one that you're close with or multiple people you can go to if you have a bad day or something like that. But for me, like as a woman, I, you know, I grew up in a very conservative religious society. So obviously like the direction I've gone is a break and free from a lot of that. And so there's been some pushback that at the end of the day, I have to come back to like, okay, what are my core values and beliefs as a person? And am I living in alignment with that? And as long as I am, I can continue on. And I try to check in with myself regularly and be like, okay, what's the kind of person I want to be? How do I want to show up in life? And I guess my goal is like, maybe, you know, there are a lot of women out there who have a lot of people that they're close with that they can talk to, but they don't have someone who maybe can help them kind of break past that point of like having more confidence or like, you know, wearing what they want out because they've grown up in a very conservative society where they feel ashamed of their sexuality or their body or something. And they they don't want to feel that way anymore. And they need someone who has experience of literally breaking through that shell and dealing with those bad negative feelings and overcoming that to get to the other side, because that's mm-hmm. kind of, I'm in, the, I feel like I'm in the thick of it. Like I'm kind of getting more past it now, but I definitely went through a couple months where I would like wake up in the morning and just feel nauseous. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Like, you know, where am I going? And I had to check in with myself and like, you know, am I making the right decisions and all this stuff, but kind of navigating like, well, who do I want to be, you know, five years from now? And you know, all that in, kind of stuff. In the short so. time I've known you, I feel like you've come out of a shell. Yeah. Like, like just for like, I mean, like, I feel like you're a completely different person from the first time I was introduced when Cody's like, Hey, this is my girlfriend, Allison. And now it's like, Hey, this is my wife, Allison. And it's yeah. like, but you know, so it's like, I mean, we were, I was at your place, uh, what last week to watch the fights or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so I mean, no, it's like, I, I'm just like every time we get together and it's usually, it's usually over UFC fights Yes, is when I'm at your, when I'm at hanging out with you guys. It's like, I'm just, I'm just like, every time I meet you, it's like, Oh my God, like Allison's like more talkative. Like, I don't think you mm-hmm. said two words to me the first time. I met And you a lot that. of that's been confidence too. Like I had some stuff that happened when I was younger. Um, I mean, obviously bullying. And then there was, you know, an issue when I was much younger where I was like assaulted. And so that kind of helps. That was some of that regression of like, feeling ashamed and feeling like, oh, it was my fault that that happened to me and all that stuff. And finally, as I got older, I was like, okay, why do I feel, you know, this shame tied to like, you know, even if I was in a relationship with someone for a year and a half before I ever, you know, slept with someone, I was 18 in college and we had been together for a year and a half. And I still felt ashamed after we had sex for the first time. Cause I was like, I don't know why I feel guilty. Why do I feel bad? You know, it was like carrying that around for so many years. And it was just a lot of, you know, religious 
you know, society, like deep conditioning that I had to kind of like work through. Yeah. So you mentioned the small, you know, you're from like a small town in Kansas, right? Yes. How small of a town? And what, what was the name of the town? I had like 150. Oh, that small. In my graduating (laughs) class. Maybe it was 130. Gotcha. It wasn't a lot. I thought you were going to say the town was 150. No, like 130 to 150. I honestly don't remember how many were in my graduating class. And, And so the town was very conservative and your family was also very conservative. Well, I mean, you know, most people in the Midwest are fairly religious. So I feel yeah. like a lot of that. It's like the it's like a Bible belt. Like I remember growing yeah. up. I mean, and I feel like this is most high schools, especially in the Midwest and probably especially for our generation. But like, you know, any girl that wasn't a virgin, people would like gossip about and be like, oh, she's a whore. But then like the men mm-hmm. who slept with them, they would get high fives. And so is it like, why is it shameful for women? But it's like a high five for men. Like and I kind of grew up around Jim that. And I've had this talk. Yeah, a lot, I grew actually. up around that. And yeah. it's like, sec- I'm, 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 yeah. I'm probably, yeah, my I have terrible opinions about no, that. Why didn't you tell us? This is my perfect time. This is my theory. But I, here's the thing. I don't think it's right. But this is why I think the nitty gritty of why that exists. OK. I think it's hard for men to sleep with multiple women. You you have to be like sharp. You have to be charming. You have to be good looking. You kind of like you got to be athletic. I feel like a lot of women, especially in certain places where the ratio is a little off, you just have to be there. That's kind of my theory. But it I, but I will. It doesn't make it right. I'm just simply pointing out why it exists. That's like I'm just very blunt and open and I just do it, you know, but like I don't I'm not saying it's right. I just think that's the way it is. But it's like I don't know if it should always be that way. And I think it is changing. Mm -hmm. But I also think like I don't think it's hard for women to like rack up a body count. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jim's like, Jim's like, yeah, Gabe, dig your hole. Jim, Jim goes, here's a shovel, game. Dig yourself a hole. I don't, I, I, I'm just, listen, you say whatever you want about me. I, I, I say what I think. I don't know. I'm just, I'm blunt. It doesn't make it right, though. I, I just, that's how I see it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like from a woman's perspective, I feel like a lot of it comes down to possession, too. Like, I feel like I mean, people tend to be that way in relationships. Like one of the common questions I get asked is like, how does your husband feel about you having an OnlyFans or whatever? And it's like, well, I mean, you guys know it was his idea because I just said that. (laughs) But um, I don't know. We have a very open approach and that goes both ways. It's not just like him giving me freedom. But we both I guess we have a lot of trust and good communication in our relationships. And I'm not saying that, like, everyone has to feel the way we feel or do the same things we do. Like, you're allowed to be uncomfortable with something that Mm -hmm. your partner does or whatever. Like, I'm not saying that you have to be okay with, you know, your partner having OnlyFans. But, like, he worked as a bouncer at a strip club for, like, three or four months, one night a week. And he would come home at, like, 2.30. And I never, ever, ever, like, felt like weird about that or bad or worried about it because I was like, one, I trust him. And two, like, I don't care if he, you know, like he's followed, you know, models and people on Instagram. He's followed girls on OnlyFans. Like that doesn't bother me because I guess I, I have a lot of confidence in not only our relationship, but in myself. And I feel very secure with everything. And I feel like a lot of that stems from a place of people feeling insecure. And so they kind of want to have this control over their partner, which I feel like ironically usually pushes them farther away because it, the more you try to control someone, the more they try to fight it. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of you, you just no have one a wants very, to be a prisoner in their own house. Yeah. That's, and and that's him and I have gonna, talked yeah. about that. Like uh, our biggest fear isn't being single. Our biggest fear is losing our freedom and our independence. And so like, we both agree that like if something bothers us, like if something I do or he does bothers one of us, we will tell the other person we'll sit down, we'll have an adult conversation about it. But for the most part, like we feel very comfortable with a lot of things. Like we just feel very free and comfortable. And so I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother us. That's good. 
So yeah. I think it comes down to like different strokes for different folks. I feel like this is a repeating message on here. Like just because I do something one way, I feel like I'm enlightened enough to like see people doing something another. Like if it works for you or for someone else or for them, so to speak, like good. Right. But it's like, you know, like let me do my thing. I'll let you do your thing. And I feel like even though that seems so simple that like a second grader could grasp that concept, like as a country, like we have forgotten that or we've never quite adopted it. We don't really focus on emotional health, you know, right. when it comes to, you know, kids growing up, you know, people don't really spend a lot of time trying to teach that to young kids. So when they grow up into maturity, now you have people who are dealing with shame, people mm-hmm. who are dealing with trust issues, and that translates into relationships. And it can make some very, very uncomfortable people and very uncomfortable couples. Well, it's understandable. Like Like, some of that's rooted in trauma. Like I dated a couple people who were cheated on. And so they had trust issues Mm -hmm. and I understood where that came from. But I also got to a point where I had to like sit down and be like, listen, I understand that so-and-so cheated on you and this happened in the past. And I understand why it might be hard for you to trust people, but I need you to either trust me or let me go because I can't be in a relationship where I don't feel like there's trust. Like to me, that's just not healthy relationship Mm -hmm. and so like i had to let that go because it just wasn't you know it wasn't working both directions because if you're gonna get drunk and then accuse me of you know something where i'm just like at a party just talk socializing to people and we get in an argument i just can't do that right you know and so it's just yeah and so i understand like i'm not trying to shame people who um have like discomfort around you know certain things um or whatever, but, but I just, just feel like a lot of it comes hmm. from like people, you know, wanting to have maybe more control over things, which unfortunately at the end of the day, we don't have much control. We try to have control, but it's, it's peace have- of mind <laughs> to accept, to focus on the things you can control and be open to the things you can't. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. that, I've had to learn that, that, that lesson. me so much. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like I had I had to question, but I, I lost it. We we all had that moment where it's like, yeah, I lost my. We didn't ever talk about ultra running. We never did up. talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, so, I have a question about yeah. that. The book that you read, you said it was about ultra running and then diet. Yeah, was so it's it a book by, by Scott, Scott Jurek. Jurek. Yes, so I bought that as a run because he is like one of the greatest ultra runners of all time. He ran the Appalachian Trail, set the new like record for the fastest time running the Appalachian Trail. I can't mm-hmm. remember how day, how many days it was, but he, he is insane. He is. I I want to say he did like a twenty four hour race because some races are distance based, most of them are, but some are time based. It's like how far can you run in twenty four hours? Oh, and I think he ran like a really hundred and fifty some miles in twenty four hours or something, and set like the men's U.S. men's world record. But wow. anyway, so I read the book as inspiration to like, okay, I want to have the mindset of a badass. I want to read about a badass <laughs> and his stories. And then he's like, I'm vegan and. So I'm like, well, fuck, I got to be vegan now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I still, you know, I'm a fan of plant-based diets, but he's the one who got me into that to begin with. So how many ultra marathons have you ran? Um, I'm trying to think like officially, I think I've only done four, but in some of my training runs, I've definitely run more. So anything over 20 for training. Anything over 26.2 miles is considered an ultra. So mm-hmm. if you're training for, I think training for my 50 first 50 mile race, I did a 40 mile training run. So Jesus that would technically Christ. be, you know, and I think training for my first hundred, I did a 50 mile training one, which was with a friend. Cause it, you know, it was hot in the summer because the races I usually do were in the fall. So you have to train in the heat of the summer. Um, and so like, we just met up at night and we like ran all night. I think we got finished like 5am of running the 50 miles, but, um, we were running through like trails and he had a stick and he was just like whacking it and hitting all the cobwebs out of the way. (laughs) 
so that I didn't have to run into him because the spiders were huge and I didn't like getting the cobwebs on my face. And so he just picked up a big stick and he's just like chopping at the air and we're running and dying slowly. But yeah. What made you want to do that? What made you want to get into ultra running? I just first started like running just for fitness and health in college. Cause I was like, okay, like I went through, I dated someone for two years and went through a breakup. And I remember like just processing and dealing with that breakup because, you know, it was a decent amount of time. Like I was going into college. A lot of my life was changing, shifting. I was living my own. And so I was like, coping with a lot of stuff. And so I remember like one night it was like two or three in the morning. I'm just laying in bed and I'm like, I can't sleep. And I feel like jittery, like anxious. So I went out for a walk and I ended up just running. Cause I was like, God, it felt so good to just sprint like that release of endorphins and just mm-hmm. getting all that feeling and like energy out. And so I started running more often and then it turned into like, I'm going to do a 5k. And then I remember showing at the park one day and being like, I'm going to run five miles today without stopping for the first time ever. And they were actually holding a 10k, which is six point two miles. And so I was like, well, fuck, I'll just sign up. It literally started like 20 minutes after I like parked there. And so I went to the bank and got money and got back just in time to start the race. So then I ended up doing a 10 K that day. It was turned into a half marathon, which turned into a marathon. And after I did my first marathon, I was like, okay, I think this is the farthest I want to go because that tore me up pretty bad. Mm. But then I did a couple more marathons and I got my marathon time down. So I'm not fast. But for me, I ran a sub four hour marathon, which is like eight fifty something average per mile. Jesus Christ. So for me, that's good because I'm not fast. Obviously, for fast people, like six, seven minute right. you know, miles is better. But it was just under a nine minute mile average with, you know, the stops and everything. And so I was really proud of that. And I was like, I really don't think I'm going to get any faster at this point. Like, I just I'm not built for running like I have like hips and everything. And I just don't feel like I was built. I'm very flat footed. And so I was like, you know what I could do, though, because when I finished that marathon that I ran in for sub four hours, I had more gas in the tank. I was like, I could keep going. <laughs> So I signed up for my first 50 K, which was 32 miles. And I did that. And I remember finishing that and then being exhausted. And then I did another 50 K and I finished that one. And I was the second place female and I still had gas in the tank when I finished that one. So I think I just kept getting better and better conditioned, but I was like, I feel like I could keep going. And the cool thing is, um, the longer the distance, the more equal that men and women get competitive wise. So marathons, obviously the men's, you know, U S Olympic times are always going to be faster than the women's. They're always going to beat the women out. The top men are always going to beat the top women out. But when you look at like the 100, 200 mile races, those finishing time gets, get a lot more close. Yep. And so I kind of like that as a woman. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can compete with the guys. So then I did a 50 mile and then I ended up training for my first hundred mile. And I did that one. And the, the stupid slash crazy thing is I finished my first hundred mile race. Right. And most people would be like, okay, time to rest relax, take some time off and then ease back into running. Five days after that, I think I signed up for another hundred miler that was only three weeks away. So literally within a month, I ran my first and my second hundred mile race. And after the second one, I had never been so miserable in my life. I remember I finished my parents picked me up. Well, they actually, I cried too. Cause they, they showed up about a mile from the finish line. Cause I text my mom. She's like, text me when you're like 10 miles from the finish line. So we can, you know, drive out there. Cause it was like an hour from where they lived and drive out there and then wait to meet you. So they met me a mile from the finish line and they ran that last mile with me. And at that point, like you're so physically and mentally exhausted, like that 
that 100 miles or that 99 miles, which technically my watch stopped at 104 for that race. So I remember getting to 100 and being like, what the fuck? I still have four miles left. Like, this is bullshit. I was not (laughs) mentally prepared for four more. Um, But like, you're just so broken down that all this stupid shit that you normally care about, like what people think and like, you know, all that other stuff, like even financial stuff, like all that just melts away. And all you care about are the connections. Like I've made genuine friends out there because when you're running, even if you just run a 20 mile like stretch from like mile 60 to mile 80 with someone Mm -hmm. you become like good friends because you go through so much together in that amount of time like you know and you just like it's the middle of the night and you're talking and running and so I don't know it's a great community of people the people who run at aid stations usually you come in and they're like what do you need do you need band-aids do you need soup do you need the sandwich like they have a full (laughs) buffet and they're ready to like change your socks and like I had one guy that like let me borrow his headlamp because it was nicer than mine and stuff he's like oh here mine's better and so he gave me his headlamp and I'm like I could have broke it I was it was cold one time and I didn't bring gloves so one guy gave me his like gloves and hand warmers they brought hand warmers you know to put in the gloves because they knew it would be cold and stuff and funny story those hand warmers uh were very useful because I ended up having to shit in a bush and I had to wipe with a hand warmer because I was like we always get the shit stories on this podcast I was like I'm out of things to wipe with so you you wiped with a hand warmer I literally didn't have anything else so heated toilet paper do you think it would sell do you, do you think it was had- pretty cold it was it was not bad i will say because i was like okay i can't get rid of a sock because then i'll get calluses and blisters on my mm-hmm. foot and it'll rub right at that point see, especially I and my, my sock in a pinch hurt. yeah or boxers well and it was on a gravel road so i needed all the cushion and you I probably get. had compressions on too which are probably not good i didn't no i use those after for recovery but i usually just use regular socks for the races and i change them halfway like at 50 miles i change my shoes and socks you get cool shoes clean socks that are dry that kind of helped <laughs> Um, my third attempt at hundred miles I had to drop out of mile 65 and I had blisters like the size of a golf ball on the bottom of my foot Ugh. that popped and then I couldn't walk around. Yeah. I think I went into like acute renal failure with that one because my <laughs> pee was brown and I was like, oh, it's a good thing I dropped out. I literally was like shaking and I was like, I don't know. Like normally I can mentally override that and push through because I was a mile 65 and my pacer was like, come on, you can do it. And I was like. I'm sorry. I have to drop. I don't know, but my body's telling me I have to drop. And then yeah. literally my pee was like brown. For, and I was like, my kidneys were failing. That's like, that's why call. I felt oh, like geez. I was dying. Like, I can override a lot of pain, but that was the point where my body was like, nope, nope. Like, I think I kept trying to override it. And I got to the point where I was like shaking. Ugh. It was like, no, you're going to stop now. <laughs> we're going to die. We're going to end up in the hospital. So, how, many, how many times have you had to poop in a bush as, a tra- as someone who is just running in the wilderness training or doing races constantly too many times especially on a vegan diet man when all you're eating is like fruits and vegetables and lots of plants there were a couple times in the summer because i'm like i fucking love watermelon and i'm gonna eat like you know three or four cups of watermelon and then i'm gonna go on a 20 mile run well in the summer when it's hot and it's cool and refreshing you're like this is great it's hydrating and all that but watermelon also goes through you really fast so i can't tell you many times i was literally mid running on a trail luckily i was always on a trail and i was like oh no oh no and you had like 30 seconds to get off behind a bush and get your pants down because it was like especially during one of the 100 milers because I think I stopped in an aid station I drank three cans of coke like I just shot them back because I was so thirsty and it tasted so amazing because it was sweet <laughs> and carbonated and it had you caffeine. drink coke before you run you get anything that no, you can I drank that at like running. mile 60 I didn't have caffeine the whole race until mile 60 I was getting well, tired and slowing down in your gut doesn't like I I, I mean I probably drinking. burped a lot but I remember that caffeine and just all the running caught up to me and i remember because i was running with my friend because it's like 
probably 3, 3.30, 4 a.m. in the morning. It's pitch black. It's cold outside. We're literally in the middle of nowhere because the Heartland 100 is like out in the back roads. Like you're going through like cow pastures and stuff. Like you're on gravel the entire way. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. Um, and so I was like, uh, I really have to go to the bathroom. Go ahead, go ahead. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, please go because I'm about to shit my pants. <laughs> and I barely could get them down to my ankles fast enough. And I was like, oh my God. And you know what the funniest thing was? Is like a mile down the road... <laughs> We're running and I look over and I see this big pile of shit that looks similar to mine. I'm like, someone else had the same thing happen right here. So it was like multiple. Oh, my gosh. People. Did you pin it? Did you pin it where you pooped? And then like another runner, you guys could like pin where everyone oh poops on gosh. the trail. Like, like like the feces app for San Francisco. But that was the point where I was like, because normally I, I learned uh, to carry toilet paper in my like hydration pack. But I think I had used so many porta potties and they had ran out of toilet paper. So I had to use it all. And at that point, I was like, well, I don't want to wipe with a random leaf because what if it. I have allergic reaction to it. Like that would be poison really bad. Or something yeah. Like that. yeah. I would grab the poisonous one. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, would I rather have warm hands or a clean butt? And I was like, I'd rather have a clean butt and cold hands. So I used my hand <laughs> and they did the job, but I was like, I literally don't have anything else I can sacrifice. I'm not using my socks or anything else and I can't leave it. So yeah, we, we actually, on another podcast, we brought up poop stories and we told people to like email and get a hold of us about poop stories. And I have to say that is I, a couple people did reach out, but I have to say that is one of my favorite poop stories. Yeah. Is that you used hand warmers. Hand warmers were going to pinch. They are nice and toasty too. Like it's cold. So I was like, you know, this thing, just toss them out in the bushes. I'm like, all right. Oh man. At least I made it off the trail. The other person who pooped like a mile down the road literally pooped in the middle of the trail. Like I think they had to stop and drop trout right there because they couldn't even make it off to the side of the trail. Like, yep. they were like, right now. <laughs> oh, you have stories of people just seeing, like, water lines in the sand, and you know that's where somebody just kind of, like, whipped out their stuff and were peeing, uh, like, as they run. Well, you know the marathons. Like, there's, you know, people who, like, pee their pants or whatever run in the marathons. And I think sometimes that's just because they know if they have to stop to pee, they won't have the finishing time and they want to yeah. place. Or they worked so hard and trained. They're like, I'd rather publicly be my pants than finish fourth instead of first or whatever. That is insane. Yeah. Um, but oh. this was, like, literally, like, there were no restrooms within miles. It was going to happen either way. So. So you just have to deal with it. But that's pretty common in ultra running. Mm -hmm. uh, I did see one dude. He looked like he was in his 50s. And it was like mile 40 something, like right before the 50 mile turnaround because it was an out and back. And he stops. He pulls over. He has like a red, white and blue flag shirt on. He goes and he barfs in a bush and then he sits back up, takes a drink of water. He goes, huh, I feel a lot better. And then he starts running again. And I'm like, this is the crazy people that are like ultra runners are the craziest people. But it's such a fun community of people. That's it really incredible. Is. Yeah. People that can just shit in a bush, wipe their <laughs> ass with a hand warmer, and keep go, keep on keeping on her. Sounds uh, like if I could run, that sounds like people I I could get down with. Yeah, but it's a now, fun crew. I want to do an ultra marathon now. What would be your recommendation? Like, what's a I don't know. Like, do you have a, a secret or or some sort of a, a definite advice that you would give to anybody who wants to get into that? Um, I want to say from when I very first started running, unless you have a good baseline, like if it took me about four years to work up to doing like hundred mile races, cause it does take a lot of like, if you don't adequately recover, you're going to get injured and then you're out for however many weeks or months. And then you have to kind of build back. Cause the thing that sucks about like 
running and any kind of cardiovascular fitness is you lose it so fast. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I love about weightlifting is if I take a week off, I come back and I'm just stronger because I'm well rested and well recovered. Whereas like running, if you take a week off, you come back and you're like, Oh, I'm so out of shape. I'm out of breath. Like, how do you lose it so fast? So I hated that, but I felt like conditioning for fighting was similar. You take a week off and like your, like your cardio is garbage. You're completely different person. Garbage. It is also like a full-time job. I think I spent 30 to 40 hours a week running, training for those races because I ran 70 to 80 miles, I think the four or five weeks leading up to the race, like consistently every week. So it takes so much time, which again, is nice with weightlifting because I think I go five nights a week for like maybe two hours. So it's like 10 hours a week versus, you know, 30 to 40. That's some dedication. <laughs> so many hours. That's some straight dedication. It is. Yeah. I didn't date anyone in college. I just ran and worked and went to school because I was like, meh, I'd rather run than date people. I'll do that later. But yeah, that's a pretty true thing you said before about like all of your anxiety. Like it's a great way to just relieve yourself of all that mindful stuff that just kind of builds up because you can't think of anything else when you're running, when you're out of breath. Like all you're thinking about is taking the next step or taking the next breath. Yeah. And there's been ultra runners talk about that. Like the first thing that breaks down is your body. Like you start to physically get tired, but then it starts to wear away. Like that's the difference between doing like a hundred mile race versus doing like a marathon. Like a marathon will start to break down your body and you physically have to like override that mentally and push through that pain and keep going and keep going when you're tired. But with a hundred miler, not only do you have these ups and downs, cause I can't tell you how many times, like, I think I hit mile 60 and I was like, I can't run anymore. Like I can't, my legs are dead. And you know, you just eat and you'd walk for a couple miles and then you'd run again and you'd take a break and you'd run again. Like so many times you think I can't run again. And then you get another wind where you can. But the cool thing with ultra running is it really breaks you down on so many different levels. Like first it breaks you down physically, but then it kind of breaks you down mentally. Like you have to play that mind game of like, oh, it'd be so nice to just go home and take a shower and take a nap and eat some food and sit in a cozy blanket. But you have to mentally override. But then it almost breaks you down spiritually. Like you almost have a come to Jesus moment where you're just like, (laughs) you know, like everything else gets stripped away. And all that matters is that that moment. And I, I don't know, the feeling when you cross that finish line is like. Nothing you can explain, like you just have to experience it, but it's amazing. And the nice thing about ultra running is there's so many people who do it who aren't like they don't look like a typical like marathon runner or a typical mm-hmm. runner. Like you see people out there who are heavier set or heavier built because a lot of those races have extended finishing times. So that if you walk, you know, half the race and you jog at a moderate pace, you can finish like it's more just the perseverance of doing it, which I like that community. Like, obviously, there's some races who have the short, you know, condensed finishing times and cutoff times because they want the elite athletes. But a lot of them are like, no, we're here for a community. I've seen races that like we have no cutoff time. We'll stay out here for fucking five days if you just want to finish. You know, like and I think that's amazing that they're just like, we'll take anyone. Um the first hundred miler I did was the Hawk and they also have a marathon and they pretty much give the marathoners. I think they might start an hour or two after the hundred mile race, uh, starters do, but they pretty much give you like so much time to finish the marathon. There will be people who will come out and will just walk the whole thing just to say like, Hey, I completed a marathon, mm-hmm. like all different fitness levels. And I love that. Cause I'm like, this is a community of people who aren't here to be like, Oh, well we're elite and you know, shame people or whatever. They're like, everyone's welcome here. Everyone's supported. Like we just want people out here moving and getting sunshine and fresh air and making healthier choices. So I really loved that aspect of the community. That's amazing. Yeah. I almost think the people that will sit there and walk a hundred miles over the span of five days are doing them, are taking the harder <laughs> route. Yeah. I'm like, damn, 
Let's just get it done. You mean to tell me if I start moving my ass, this can be over three days sooner? Like, I'd start running. And I'm a fat boy, you know? I want to say, yeah, my my fastest finishing time for 100 miles was right under 28. I think it was like 27. And that was my goal. I was like, I want to finish under 28 hours because I timed it out with the walking. I figured I'd need it. And like, you know, there's times where you have to go to the bathroom or change your shoes or stop to eat. And so I factored all that in. I was like, if I can finish in under 28 hours, I'll be really proud of that. And I finished like 2750 something. I mean, I think I was looking at my watch and I was like, okay, I'm like a quarter mile out. And I hauled ass that last bit. Like I just got that last win to finish strong. Mm -hmm. But do you sit down and eat or is it all like granola and like just snack food to get you by? It's really up to you. I feel like usually the first 30 miles of the race, I do the lighter foods that you'd normally do for a marathon. Like if you want to do like the like electrolyte drinks that have like sugar and right. carbs in them, the gels, fruit, like bananas and stuff like that. Um, but then once you get like to the 50 mile mark, usually you're like, I need something solid. And they do like they will have, I saw one chick, her pacer ordered a pizza. So when she came in at the 50 mile, her pacer was there with a pizza and she was eating pizza and running. And I was like, that was such a good idea. That's, but they had ramen noodles. They had hamburgers, hot dogs, quesadillas. Well, you mean like, to tell me I can eat pizza and run? Yeah. I- I'll be if there. You do, I'll be the next races, ultra marathon yeah we're all training the ultra races are where it's at because we have like a whole buffet now it is i think most of the races are 200 dollars to enter but again for like more than 24 hours you get an unlimited buffet they refill all the drinks you get like hydration <laughs> you've water convinced and all me this. you said yeah. pizza i'm there <laughs> you don't need to sell me anymore no. the people are so cool too though like it's great it's a good time. I, I think in october so i've ever, since covid I, I broke my foot like in the beginning of 2020 and i was actually in good shape i just came off from a, a fight but i broke my foot kind of was on crutches kind of like went into the whole like you know i'm sitting on the couch eating pizza and then covid happened so all the gyms were closed and i just fell into this hole but i think october and i'm only saying it on the podcast so i hold to it. it's gonna help okay. me hold to it i'm gonna start going to the gym in the morning at least four times a week, and I'm going to give up alcohol. It's going to be sober October, but Gabe's going to get his lift on. That's our tomorrow. <laughs> Is October tomorrow? Tomorrow's October 1st. Yep. All right. So <laughs> Going to the gym tomorrow, guys. You thought you had one more day. You were wrong, sir. Well, that's my last bush light. Okay. Well, can I drink NAs during sober October, or should I cut that out? Because that's probably just bad, empty calories. I don't know. I mean, you're still sober. That's true. Yeah. I found a hack. <laughs> and I can eat pizza as long as I'm training for an ultra marathon. See, I don't know why fat people haven't haven't just discovered. They're like, if you're just running while you eat the pizza, you can have the pizza. <laughs> no no one's ever gave me that option. And now I'm like, geez. Oh. So. Yeah. Well, There's usually beer, too. But people usually wait till they're finished running to drink the beer. Yeah, I, would, yeah, I could but, see that. Yeah. Well, Allison, this is this has been one for the books. I'm I'm so happy that you came over and, and sat mm-hmm. down with us. This is your opportunity. Plug your stuff. How do people get a hold of you on on the gram, TikTok, OnlyFans, OnlyFans? I, what, how do people How do people find you? Or um, pretty much everything is just a dot ray r a e dot fitness. That's what I am on Instagram, TikTok. I think I tried to make everything the same across all my platforms, but okay. my Instagram also has a link tree with like Twitter and everything in it too. So okay. And then do you have anything as far as business that you want to shout out or support or have people look out for? Um, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, it's just those main plugs. I'm still trying to get everything settled and figure out how I want to go. I don't know. I still feel like I'd like to learn and grow a little more as a person before I start launching my coaching stuff because I want to feel very confident that, you know, people are going to get their money's worth if they're working with me. So I'm working on getting that going, but... 
Okay. We'll see where that goes. We're tasting. Well, I, I, if I need a life coach, I know where to go now. Yeah. All, all I really need was someone like, Gabe, if you can just eat the pizza while you run. <laughs> like, that one right there is, like, the only advice I ever yeah. needed. So, all right. Just do a 100-mile run every weekend. There was one guy that, <laughs> every like. weekend. Yeah. There was a guy that got into, I, th- I want to say he does, like, seven or eight of those a year. But he's lost so much weight just between training and running those and you know, like he has pictures on Facebook of like, he's part of the running community. I saw him like every race I did, he'd always be there running and he usually finished before me, but he was like just very dedicated, but yeah. Oh, I couldn't That was imagine. his weight loss story of what he got. He just got into the community really hardcore and did a lot of running. Mm-hmm. He well, probably was like one of those people just running and eating pizza. Like I'm just living my best life. I should start an Instagram <laughs> running while eating pizza. I'd be like, listen, just, fatties. Like all your videos and pictures are just you running and eating pizza. Like reviewing a Giordano's just shoving it in my face, like running. You could just, that's what you could do every time you have a different type of pizza or different pizza from a different place and just review pizza while you run. Like today's three mile run is brought to you by Papa John's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be a pretty sweet idea. That's yeah. actually a great idea. Maybe we should edit that part out so no one's steals the idea while we start this startup yeah. but uh no I, I i really appreciate your time you are probably one of the most fascinating people we've had on here so far oh so, awesome well, so thank you for I, having me yeah, i appreciate Don't tell you Cody that oh yeah. no he's pretty proud he'll no. just come back well, and he'll be like i can one up there you married a fighter yeah. and you're the badass one that's what's so funny We're about both you pretty guys badass. no you guys are he hot. supports my badassness so. that's amazing you guys are one of my favorite he empowers couples. my badassness yeah all right, well, that's all we have, folks. So, Gabe Frayer signing off. Thank you for having me.